Praise God. <clears throat> we were discussing uh, we were discussing in Bible study the other night about how meditation is used in yoga and in some of the martial arts and how that meditation can be used if you're not careful. It can be opening doors where you don't want them want them opened. Uh, it is also used in some forms of self-improvement and, and self-hypnosis practices are often talked about to help you to create a more successful you. However, the issue that we have with that kind of med- meditation is that it is always absent God. It is always without God. It's meditating on a host of other things which you don't want to be necessarily involving yourself with. However, we see that in accordance with the word of God, the Bible talks about meditation. So what is the difference? Obviously, what God mentions in his Bible is referring to his word and is referring to meditating on the things of him. Amen. But other secular meditation does not go that way. And you say to me, well, gee whiz, uh, Pastor, um, I don't know how to meditate. Well, the fact of the matter is you do know how to meditate because guess what? You meditate on all the problems in your life. You meditate on those worries. You think about them over and over again. You know, how you, you just dwell on them constantly. Well, what if we could take that time that you spend meditating on the problems and talk about and think about meditating on the word of God? We go to the book of Psalms. We have to do everything in accordance with the word of God here. Not my word, but according to the word of God. Go to the 63rd Psalm. Psalm 63. Psalm 63, and we're just going to jump down to 5 and 6. Talking about meditating here. What does God say about meditating? Psalm 63, verse number 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Please underline that if you don't already have it underlined. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, and what? Meditate on thee in the night watches. Okay? When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night night watches. The interesting thing about our God is that God never tells us to do something that we are unable to do. Okay, God will not tell us anything as his children that we are not able to do. So if God says here that we should meditate upon him and are in the uh, in the night watches, that's very interesting, because many times in the night watches in the wee night of the hours of, of the night, that's when you start meditating on all of your worries. You start meditating on tomorrow morning. What do I have to do? What is my boss going to say that meeting or whatever it is that I have to do? So God is saying to meditate, to meditate in the in the uh, in the night hours. We go to one Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, One Timothy chapter 4, One Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to jump down to verse number 11. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 11. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Okay, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. 
Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate, verse 15, underline meditate, please. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in, in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. All right, so the operative uh, scripture there is verse number 15, of course, meditate upon these things. And he's talking about meditate upon the things mentioned previously in the scripture there. And again, I say, you may say, well, pastor, I don't know how to meditate. Well, God has given you there some examples on what you should be meditating on. So instead of meditating on the problems, try giving your problem to God and meditate on that. Okay? You see, we spend so much time rolling around in our heads the issues of life and what are we going to do instead of us saying, well, let me meditate here and focus on what God is telling me to consider. And also, what does God further say in his word? It says to give him all of, all of your cares. So you shouldn't be, be, uh, be carrying those things on your shoulder. Right, and again, to go to a familiar scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom, uh, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Okay, so the key verse there again is verse number seven, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So how does, how does that work practically? Practically, here you are lying in bed, you've had a, a hard day at work or whatever it is that you were about during the course of the day, and you come home and all of a sudden you find yourself thinking about all the things that are going wrong. You start meditating on all of those cares that you have before you. So what the word of God here is saying to you is to meditate on the things of God. And remember, remember what we just read here in, in first Peter. Uh, five seven there is to cast your care upon God. So when you say to me, Pastor, I don't know how to meditate, and I say to you, Yes, you do. You have to simply remember the scripture. You've got this thing on your mind that's troubling you, so you say, Okay, Lord, I'm not going to carry this burden. I'm going to meditate on just giving this to you. I'm going to give it to you, Lord. I'm not going to carry it. Guess what? God's shoulders are a, whole, are a whole lot larger than yours. We've all seen the movie and read the book Pilgrim's Progress. Remember the knapsack the, the lead character was carrying there? And the more he carried that burden, the bigger it got, the bigger it got. Well, so it is with the things in our lives. The more we meditate on the bad things, the bigger it gets. And it zaps your strength and your energy. Okay? So we see here that, the, that God says to cast your cares upon God. And first of all, to start meditating on that. Another thing to meditate on is how are you being a doer? of the word. Go to the book of James. Go to the book of James. Thank you, Jesus. Book of James, and we want to do chapter one. Book of James, chapter one. Be ye, but be ye doers of the word. On oh, 22, verse 22. Sorry, chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, 
deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whosoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So God is saying here, there's something to meditate on, God said, to be a doer of the word. You see, now we can see that we can memorize the Bible from cover to cover. And I know some people that you can mention the scripture, they can say, oh, that's 1 Corinthians 5, so on, so they can rattle it off. Or you can say to them, what is uh, Psalm, you know, 34, verse 3, and they say, oh, that's so and so and so. But when it comes down to actually utilizing that word of God and, and, and living that word of God, the person is many times absent. Absent that, uh, that trait. So we have to be more than just, you've heard me say a million times, um, being a Christian and following Christ is a lot more than an intellectual exercise. There are some folks that can literally memorize the Bible from cover to cover. But understanding what God is saying to you and utilizing it practically in your life is a whole different thing. You can understand that God says, uh, um, uh, uh, thou shalt not steal, okay? But yet still, though, we go into Winco and the poor clerk there, the cashier, you know, giving you change back, she gives you $10 too much change, and we just go, just blithely walk out the store and just keep that change. Well, actually, you're stealing, okay, but you know that the word of God says, thou shalt not steal, okay, but you're stealing because that poor clerk is going to have to most likely take that $10 out of her pocket to put back in there. But how many of us would be doers of the word? Because when you're doing that, you're a born-again child of God. I guarantee you that as you're walking out of Winco, you're going to hear that little voice down inside you. Take it back. Take it back. You're going to hear Holy Spirit sounding down inside of you. Take it back. Take it back. But if you're not a doer of the word, you just go on and you compromise and you make an excuse to yourself. You rationalize, which us human beings are so excellent at doing. You make an excuse. Well, say, well, she made the mistake. Or as some Christians I've heard actually say, when they're telling me about accounts like that, Okay, when they actually told oh, you, guess what happened to me, Pastor? Went in the winco, da da da, and I got ten dollars too much, you know, for, and I'm standing there waiting to see what they're going to say. So yeah, I just figured the Lord blessed me. The Lord blessed me with the ten dollars, and so I kept it. Well, does God? God is not is, is is not schizophrenic. Why would He speak out of two sides of His mouth? God says, "Do not steal." But yesterday, He's going to bless you by taking from someone else. Doesn't make sense, you see? But we let our own psyches, our own rationality get in there to, 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 to do what we really want to do instead of being a doer of the word. So you take it back. Our kids were small and forget which one of the boys. We left the store there and we got out to the car and unloading the packages. And one of the, the toys they were looking at on the shelf was down inside the thing. We didn't pay for it. We didn't pay for it. We didn't see it. We didn't realize it was there. We quickly walked it back into the store and say, oh, here, my son had this and how much is it? And the woman, she looked totally surprised and shocked that we brought it back. Doers of the word. Doers of the word. You see, we, we, we lay traps for ourselves in our lives when we don't do what God is calling us to do. Because while you may not realize that someone besides God or in addition to God is watching what you're doing and you're opening the door. You're opening the door for all sorts of darkness to get in there to take over your life. And if you rationalize on that one little item, that one little ten dollars, you start making excuses as you go on in life. You see, you see, so you have to be a doer of the word. People read the Bible all their lives and they never decide to act on the word. You have to make a commitment to follow Jesus. Okay? Now we're going to go here talking about following Jesus. We're going to talk about someone we all know very well, Simon Peter, otherwise just known as Peter. Let's go to Matthew four. Okay? 
doers of the word. In order to be a doer of the word, you've got to be a follower of Jesus. Matthew 4. Matthew 4. And we're going to go to verse number 18. Verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. 19. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Underline that, please. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. That was the calling. Jesus said to follow me. At some point in your life when you decided to give your life to the Lord, there was a calling to you that said, in essence, follow me. You decided, going back to whatever that decision was, whatever prompted you to be at that point in life where you knew that this was something you had to do, you agreed to follow Jesus. But how closely do we follow Jesus? Okay. We made that pronouncement with our lips. We probably at the time were feeling very pumped up or maybe even as, as some folks that I've, that I've known, you know, we kind of come to the Lord under great pressure. You see, because our God is a very interesting God. God will call out to you. Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not overshadow your thoughts and things. OK, I mean, he'll give you thoughts, but he just won't. In, 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 how can I say barge in your life, so to speak? You have that calling. God is an interesting God. I've known people that they have to get in their lives to a point where they're everything. They're just laying flat on their faces where the whole bottom in their lives has dropped out and there's no place else to go. And they come running to God. Oh, Lord, please save me. But in either event, God had been calling you all along and you decided to come, which is a good thing. Okay, so here we see Peter was called. Okay, and straightway it said that they 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 followed him. Okay. Then we see something happening later on in Peter's life. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and we're going to start at verse number 39. Okay? Now, this is all leading up to the time that Jesus was arrested and so forth, and he was, uh, uh, he was in the garden at Gethsemane uh, praying. So we're just going to take, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Let's just go to 39, verse number 39. Matthew 26, verse number 39. You know, this, was, this was his first prayer. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now, that's something if you don't already have it underlined, you should bracket it or something like that. Because this, is, this was, this was a, 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 a turning point, a critical point, if you will, in Jesus' life. What if Jesus had decided to not do the will of his father? You see, one of the things that we often do as Christians, we have to make up our minds. too. If we're going to follow God, are we going to do exactly what he tells us to do, regardless of how painful it might be or or, or how, how difficult it may be or whether or not we think that we can do it? I said before, God will never tell you to do something that he doesn't know that you are able of doing. Amen. But what if Jesus has said he will know, Father, I don't think I can do this. This was a very, very difficult thing for Jesus because stop and think about it. What does the book of John tell us? In the beginning was the Word. Okay? In the beginning, the Word was with God. The, the Word was God. So Jesus, for an eternity, was always with his Father. 
He knew what was about to come about on this cross thing. This thing, he knew what was about to come about. That he was going to experience separation from God the Father, whom he had been with for an eternity. So Jesus here at this point in time, he's kind of like crying out to the Father. He says, oh Lord, Father, if there's any way, is there another plan? Do you have a plan B? But he recovered and he said, uh-uh, on second thought though, not my will, Father, but your will. So you've been called, you decided to give yourself to the Lord. How many times do things come across your path, come in front of you, where you have to make a decision, no, not my will, Father, I will do what you want me to do. Regardless of what it may seem, regardless of the, the, the difficulty that may be before you. So he prayed that prayer there, and then we move forward in time here, and we're going to go to uh, verse number 47, where we see the arrest. Okay, he prayed two other times. And then he, and here in 47, he says, And while he yet spake to uh, lo, Judas, one of the twelve came, and with him a, a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed, betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot, uh, I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus this must be done. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. But all of this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now, they'd been with him all of this time, but they saw this happening, his arrest, and all of a sudden, all of their faith in him, all of it, you know, their, their knees became weak, and they all decided to, decided to flee. They, he said that the scriptures had to be fulfilled. Jesus knew that this plight, this, this uh, um, uh, destiny that he had, it had to be played out. But he, he was concerned about all of us to come. What was his mission here? His mission came to save you, to take you out of the way of, of spending uh, 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 eternal eternity in hell, bound to sin. He freed us from all of that. Jesus knew the price that had to be paid. But yet still, and yet still, he went forward with the, with the, uh, with the plan. So we see there that he was arrested. Then we pick up here in uh, 57. And they that had laid, hand, uh, laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace. Underline that, please. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace. He had been with him all of this time. Now he was close, told him how much he loved him. But now all of a sudden, he's following Jesus at a distance. Verse 59, now the, now the chief priests and elders and all the councils sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And, uh, at, and the last came two false witnesses and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, answerest thou nothing? What is, it that, uh, what is it which these witnesses say against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. 
Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now you have heard this blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, uh, who is it that smote thee? Who is it that smote thee? So we see it now. He's being, he's being, uh, he's being beaten and being insulted and so forth. And uh, it said there, I want to get back to where it said that he followed uh, Jesus at a distance. Many times after we come to the Lord, we wind up following God at a distance. We don't feel as committed to him. We start carrying out and doing what the word of God says only partially. We, 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 we neglect our prayer time with God. We don't get up in the early morning hours as we used to when we were first, when we first came to love, when we were first born again. As far as things in the word of God that really uh, um, shine a light on what I'm doing in my life, again, we wind up compromised. So we wind up following Jesus at a distance, you see. And every time we slip and we sin, okay, we are, 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 we are, are, are disregarding the work that he did for us. We're not really one-on-one and tightly connected with Jesus. So the same way Peter here now, who had been so close to Jesus and followed him all of this time, and was, was being so close with him. Now, all of a sudden, when, when, the, when the chips were down, so to speak, he started dropping back. He started dropping back. We see here in verse number 69, again, it said that uh, Peter sat w- without in the palace. Now, okay, he followed him at his distance. He sat without the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what you say. I know not what you say. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto, unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, saying, uh, They that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech uh, betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. The cock, the cock crew, or the cock crowed, all right? And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Every single time that we follow Jesus from a distance, without really committing ourselves, we become like Peter. Peter denied Jesus. We can also deny Jesus by our negative works. The things that we do in our lives is denying Jesus. We don't stop and we think of, we don't stop and think about that. We just kind of get up in the morning, go about our lives, jump in the car and drive to work or wherever you have to go. As the day presents itself, itself, there are decisions that you have to make. But in making those negative or those bad decisions, do you ever stop and realize that you're as bad as Peter here? Holy Spirit may be in your, in your spirit telling you don't do this or don't go there, don't say that. But you still, you, you insist on doing it your way. So every time you follow Jesus at a distance, you, you run the risk of being just like Peter and denying Jesus three times. But you won't be happy and content until you start following Jesus closely. Now, I submit to you that, and it was said earlier, though, December, January, that 2019 was going to be a heck of a year. And it's starting out as such. And I really believe in all of my heart and with all of my spirit, deep down within, 
that there's a change coming before us. There's a change that's going to challenge your commitment to God. Do we throw out all of the things that man has taught us? What's the scripture that says the Holy Spirit will come to you to show you of things which no man can teach you? Okay. I'm standing up here preaching to you, but I'm not the one doing the preaching, doing the teaching. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the teaching. The Holy Spirit is the one that's teaching you and witnessing to your spirit about what you're hearing. So with, the, with what is laying before you, you need to start making a decision. How closely are you going to work with God? Are you going to get away from playing church and really get into what the word of God says? Literally what the word of God says, you know? Say, someone say, oh, well, what are you, pastor? What are you? I say, well, I'm a Christian, meaning a follower of Christ. Well, what denomination? I said, well, I believe in the word of God, the literal word of God. I am, don't belong to any one particular denomination. I simply follow the word of God, period. End of discussion. End of discussion. Jesus didn't come here and say that I am estab- I'm establishing the, the Baptist religion or the, the, the Presbyterian. But he said, these are my words. Follow me. Follow me. Okay. So there's going to be challenges put before you. And how closely are you following, following uh, Christ? You may slip in sin. The word of God gives us provisions for that. You know, none of us are perfect. You slip in sin. The word of God gives us uh, 1 John 1, 9, I believe it is, that says that if you confess your sins, he will forgive. God loves you. God knows that we're not perfect. He gave us these provisions. But you've got to make that commitment that you're really going to follow God. You see, and there's going to be challenges coming before you because the world is changing. The times are changing. Things that that that, that are, are, are wrong, according to the word of God, are right, according to the today's age. Those things that, that, that are right are wrong, according to today's age. So where are you going to be? How closely are you going to follow follow God? OK, oh, how, how do I follow God to truly follow Christ means that he has become everything to you. Simple as that. Everything. You put him before other things that's in your life. You put him before people. You put God before people. Now, how can I put God before people? I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my children. Well, guess what? If you put God first in your life, you follow Jesus more closely, put his words in in your life first, guess what? Everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. You can give your wife or your husband or any other loved one a love much, much deeper than you yourself can give or imagine because Holy Spirit will be guiding you how to treat that person, how to advise that person, how to walk with that person, how to love that person. Okay, so you need to get to the point if you're closely following Jesus to to really put him first in your life and in in the decision making process. Okay, we are all the, the sum total of our environment and of our past. Right now, you are the sum total of your environment and your past. What you were learned and taught maybe years ago may be a time for you to come forward and say to God, well, God, do I need to change? Do I need to think about what it is that I'm thinking? Do I need to think about what it is that I, that I am believing? Am I getting so, so um, 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 puffed up in my intellectual knowledge of Scripture that I am missing, that I am missing um, um, the, the fundamental connection between you, Lord Jesus, and Holy Spirit? Am I so intellectually and so scientifically minded that that, that I'm missing the the, the pure bluntness of love me, love me? The father says, knock and I'll answer. I can't explain that scientifically. I'm a very scientifically minded person. I love it. I still subscribe to the NASA site. I get stuff from the Jet Propulsion Lab. I look at the, the, the Voyager going out into space for 11 years. I follow all of that. But at one time, I had a hard time even dealing with um, um, the, the, the things that God is telling us you, you can't necessarily measure with a slide rule. 
You can't put into a computer and get the answers because this is much greater than that. It's something basically saying that, Lord, I love you. Lord, I have this problem. How do I deal with it? Lord, um, how, do I, how do I go in tomorrow and say to so-and-so that this is what I need to do? How do I do that? You can't put that into a computer, to but God will tell you. Why? Because God knows what's exactly going to happen tomorrow. God knows the position of that person that you're about to meet with tomorrow. So you've got to get to the point where you're not trusting on yourself or that you're trying to figure out the answer, that you're simply going to follow God, follow Jesus, follow him closely, not at a distance the way Peter was. Because if you don't, you wind up, you'll slip back further and further and further away to the point where you're almost denying him. Where you used to get up every single morning at 5.30 to pray. You know, now you're getting up every other morning at 5.30 to pray. And then maybe you're, you're once a week. You, you stop reading the scriptures. You say, okay, I'll do it later on today or later on tomorrow. I'll get to it next week. Or the things that are really important in your life, you say, well, I'll think about it later. Let me go and cook dinner. Well, let me go do this. Let me wash the car. You see, and that's how we slowly, you know, slip away. You've heard me say a million times, you know, the way to cook a frog is that if you drop him in hot water, that's already boiling. It will try to get out because it will sense that it's hot. But you put it in cold water and you slowly turn up the flame ever so slightly. He starts warming up and he cooks without him really knowing it because the water slowly increases. Well, that's the way the devil is in our lives. It starts very, very gra- gradually, and that, that closeness where you were following Jesus, Jesus at one time, you start slipping back bit by bit, bit by bit. To truly follow Jesus means that we do not follow anything else. You don't follow anything else. Do you know that I hear Christians still talking about, oh, let me get up and read the horoscope. I can't go to work without having my cup of coffee and reading the horoscope. Getting further and further away. You're getting further and further away. You're missing what the Word of God says about those types of things. There's, and there's no such thing as a halfway disciple. None whatsoever. What does the Word of God say? I wish, either wish you were hot or cold. You're lukewarm, I'd spew you out. Okay? No such thing as a halfway disciple. God is looking for you to, to be all in. All in. Now, we may get away for a period of time being a, being a, a halfway disciple. Maybe you'll get by by, you know, reading the Bible occasionally, going to church occasionally, praying occasionally. But I guarantee you one thing, the devil knows how infrequently you're consulting God. Okay? And I tell you something, too. We are no match for the devil in in and of ourselves, physically nor intellectually. He has the, the wisdom and the intelligence of the ages. Now, I'm not giving glory to Satan, not at all, not by, by a long shot. But what did Jesus say before he left? He said that I will give you a helper. I'll give you parakletos in the Greek. I'll give you a counselor. I'll give you a, he, he, he'll be an advisor to you. So you can be a halfway disciple for a period of time, but there's going to come that thing in your life. There's going to, to be something in your, in your life, something that is presenting you in, in your life uh, uh, that is really, really important, that is really, really critical, that you make the right decision. And because of the fact that you've been a halfway disciple or a part-time disciple, you'll make the wrong decision in, in, in trying to do whatever it is that you need to do. You'll play into someone else's hands because you won't be hearing Holy Spirit, you see? And you get to the point of being a, half, a halfway disciple, also that means that the voice of Holy Spirit starts becoming more and more diminished in your life. You start hearing him left and left, less and less. Like I said, Holy Spirit's a gentleman, okay? He'll whisper. Who was it that was in the cave, uh, Elijah? He went outside and he said that uh, 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 um, the, the, the wind went by and the, the Holy Spirit was not in the wind. The fire went by. He was not in the wind. But then there was the still in the fire. But there was the still small voice. 
You become a halfway disciple, let yourself become that. You won't hear that still small voice. And you'll be walking headlong into a disaster. So you need to make a decision. Am I going to closely walk with God? Okay. Oh, well, gee whiz, that means giving up so much. That means I got to sacrifice. I mean, well, look at the sacrifice Jesus made. You'll stop and think about that. He made the ultimate sacrifice. God made the ultimate sacrifice. His only begotten son. Why don't we stretch it a little bit? Do like this. Amen. 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 Praise the living God. Praise the living God. God is good. God is good. God is good. Um, don't let the word be snatched and stolen away from you. Okay? Don't let it be snatched and stolen away from you. Sometimes we can hear but not hear. And all I'm saying to you is that God does not say things lightly. There could be a decision that you made today that could impact the rest of your life. Or maybe even as early as this afternoon or tomorrow. So you need to hear it. But the devil will shut your ears or have you so distracted that you won't know what's going on. And I'm telling you, we're not playing a game here. You can take it as seriously as you want. But we're not playing a game. God is not playing a game. There are forces out there that would like to, to, to cut you down to your knees and to stop you because of the fact that you did one thing in life. And that is, you gave yourself to the Lord Jesus. So he doesn't like that. So right away, you're a target. OK, so here here, if, if you're listening to the word of God and you've made up your mind that, yes, indeed, I want to find I want to follow Jesus. Then you will wind up being far more fruitful and more successful in life and things that will present themselves uh, to you in the future. Jesus gave his disciples the secret to faithfully following him. But they did not recognize it at the time. I mentioned Holy Spirit before. He said, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. That's in John 6, 63. And this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled them. Enabled them in verse 65. The disciples had walked with Jesus for three years, learning, observing and hearing and watching him and participating even in his miracles. Yet even they could not follow him faithfully in their own strength. They needed a helper. Jesus told them, but go into Jerusalem and I will send a helper. While I am here, he cannot come. I must go back to the Father. And you know the story, the second chapter of Acts and the Holy Spirit came. That was to enable them. That was to enable them to carry out what needed to be done. Jesus knew that he was not going to physically be here on the earth. But Jesus and God is in you. Holy Spirit is in you. You can't figure that out. There's no theologian on this planet that can figure out how that works. Sit down and say, well, I'm only five foot, whatever, and so forth and so on. And how can God fit in me? Well, hey, that's not for you to worry about. God said it's so. I believe it's so. God sees when you are being, um, uh, 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 how can I say, uh, I won't say backslidden, but when you're losing faith and when doubt is starting to enter in. God recognizes it. He knows it. Okay? See? But the thing that we have to be sharp enough and astute enough to do is that we, when we start feeling that doubt starting to slip in or that, that worry starting to slip in, first of all, to meditate on what God said. God said to, to give my cares to him, to cast it upon him because he cares for me. So, okay, I'm going to meditate on doing that because it can happen in a heartbeat. Happen in a heartbeat. The phone will ring. It'll be somebody, oh, did you hear so and so and so and so? Boom. And then all of a sudden the bottom drops. You get a letter in the mail. Jesus, this is your friendly government, IRS. <laughs> You're being called in for an audit. What do you do? I'm serious. You, you get a letter in the mail from the test that you just took from the doctor. And there's all sorts of bad news there in the, in the letter. What do you do? 
Do you carry that burden or do you give it to God? Do you, do you give it to God? My daughter's dog, little little Yorkie, um, was visiting with us yesterday and and um, Saturday rather, and um, he took ill. You know what we did? We prayed over him. We prayed over him. Asked the Lord to heal him. Got back home. Great bill of health. No problems whatsoever. Was throwing up violently and so on like that. And you, you see, you see, but you've got to get into the habit that no matter what it is to get into the habit of praying. Of praying, of seeking the Lord and taking him at his word. You see, Jesus promised many times that once he had ascended to the Father, he would send He would send the helper. And that's who we have here today. In fact, he told them that it was for their good that he was going away, as I said before. In John 16, 7, the Holy Spirit indwells the heart of every single believer. That's you. And, and I'll even say to you, don't have to answer me, because only you know the answer to it. But in your heart of hearts and deep down in your spirit, in your heart of hearts, do you really believe that Holy Spirit indwells you? Do you really believe it? Okay. Do you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you really believe that God is who he says he is? And I don't mean an intellectual concept of God. I don't mean that, that, that like his thought was the force be with you, that he's some, some celestial something floating around, a nebulous cloud floating around in the cosmos. I mean, do you really believe that God is who he says he is? Do you really believe that once you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you asked him into your heart, that he is actually there to guide you and can guide you and wants to guide you? Do you really believe that that God is such a loving God that he wants to give us the deeper secrets, the mysteries of him? He wants to tell us. He wants to reveal things to us. But he's not going to reveal the deeper things of him until you are responsible enough to, to, to wield them. You always hear me talk about, would you give the keys uh, of, of your beautiful uh, Maserati car to a nine-year-old kid to go and drive? No, you wouldn't because you know that kid is not responsible. God is not going to open to you the really deeper, deeper truths of him until he knows that you are responsible and are close enough with him to wield those secrets properly. Okay? But do you really, 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 really in your heart of heart believe that God is who he says he is? And if you do, then this afternoon, tomorrow morning, or wherever it may be when a problem comes up in your life and Jesus said, while you are in this world, okay, he said, you will have tribulation. He didn't say if, he said you will. Okay, when those tribulations come into your life, how are you going to deal with it? Are you going to be a part-time disciple? Are you going to be following Jesus from a distance like Peter did? Or are you going to be right there by his side? Are you going to turn to him readily and speedily and say, okay, Lord, this problem just popped up. What do I do with it? Simple as that. The beautiful thing about God is that we don't have to speak in King James language to communicate with him. We don't have to say thee, thou, and so forth, all like that. We Sometimes we simply need to say, oh, Lord, I just read this letter. Lord, help me. One of the most effective prayers I've heard from someone as a pastor is, Lord, help me. For your spirit cries out. Or you can be too cool and too puffed up in self to cry out to God. To surrender to God. One of the reasons that we praise and we praise God so much is a sign of surrender. Raised hands is a universal symbol of surrender. Throughout scripture, the Psalms, it talks about raising hands and praising God because you're surrendering to God. You're not so proud that I can't say, oh Lord, I love you, I magnify thy name, you are everything, oh Lord. But if you can't bring yourself to that point where you're simply surrendering to God, then it's hard for you to hear the voice of God. Because deep down inside, you're going to try to do it yourself. So following God. 
remembering that when the Holy Spirit came upon those first believers at Pentecost, they suddenly had all the power that they needed to follow Christ, even to death. That's in Acts 2, 1 to 4 and, and chapter 4 of Acts. Well, the same power you have also in you. You have the same Holy Spirit, but you've got to believe that. You've got to believe it. You have to get to the point where it's, it's no longer an intellectual exercise for you. And, and if, you, if, 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 you're, if you're hesitant at what, about what I'm saying, try it tomorrow or later today or tonight. There's always something out there to pop up that you need help with. There's always something. Try it. Call out to God. God, this came into my life. This just happened. Lord, I got this piece of mail. Hold it up. Lord, I got this piece of mail. What should I do with it? What should I do with it? You see? Sometimes you may hear, come meet with me. Come spend some time with me. You ever spend time with God alone in your prayer closet? And because we are such um, time-oriented people, that when you're in your prayer closet and you're praying and you feel like maybe I've prayed that half hour or 15 minutes or whatever it is, and you get up to go, and you hear a voice that says something like, tarry a while, I want to talk to you. Tarry a while, I want to spend some time with you. I've heard that, and, I'm t- and all it does is touches you in here. You know, this is the Father that is saying, I desire some time with you. And then you just stay. You don't have to go into your prayer closet and praying to God where you're talking a mile a minute. Prayer is a two-way communication between us and God. It's not a monologue for you simply to give to God. My name is Jimmy. Just give me, give me, give me. Okay, I'm done. And then you walk out. You pray and then you listen. Then you listen. This is a communication. And I'm telling you, as surely as I'm standing here, if you've got that issue, you'll hear God articulate exactly what he wants you to do. That's been my experience that I don't understand exactly what it is that he's telling me to do. But I just simply do it. Simply do it. Sometimes God wants to see if you're going to trust him enough to do what he wants you to do without you totally understanding it. Okay? See, that's why people get into horoscope and all of the other occult things the Bible talks against. You know, you know, you know, reading of tea leaves and reading innards and stones and all that other stuff. Because man wants to always know the future. Absent God. Man must always know the future absent God. But instead of doing that, you just say, okay, God said to go out and, and cross the street on Main Street. Cross the street three times. You say to yourself, well, Lord, what is crossing the street three times going to do? Uh, 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 uh. You don't do that. God says cross the street three times. You, you cross it three times. What if Israel had said, oh, Lord, that city Jericho, Lord, you see those walls on that thing? You see the walls and you're telling me to march around seven times with the trumpets and blow the trumpets and that's going to make those walls fall? That doesn't make sense. They simply did it. And what happened? The walls fell. Every single wall that presents itself in your life can come tumbling down. They can come tumbling down. You simply have to do literally what the Word of God is telling you to do and what Holy Spirit tells you to do, okay? Because that will be for your here and now. The Holy Spirit advises you will be for your here and now. The same power that they, they received in the second chapter of Acts is in you. You simply have to avail yourself of it and understand it and believe it. That's all. It's, it's as simple as that. I could keep you here for the rest of the afternoon and tell you things in my life that have been touched and turned around like that that will make your head spin. 
But all I'm just doing is telling you to trust God. Really, really, really trust Him. The time is coming before you when you're going to need to. You're going to need to. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I hope that this message was a blessing for you. And now, before we close, let us honor God with our tithes and offerings.